0: my pleasure to introduce our first discussion, Dr. Devish Kapoor, whom I alluded to earlier, who is sorry, who is now uh, the Star Foundation professor of South Asian Studies and Director of Asia Programs at the Johns Hopkins School of Inter- Advanced International Studies. Washington's gain is Philadelphia's loss. Thank you, Marshall. Uh, thank you to Dr. Gukulati. I think uh, many of you who know Dr. Gukulati's work, <coughs> for the last few decades he's often fought a lone battle in sort of rational economic policies on agriculture. The question I think to ask is: why has he not been more s- successful? And that is at the heart of the political economy of Indian agriculture. <coughs> now it poses a puzzle because farmers are India's largest voting bloc. India is a vibrant democracy. You would expect political parties to respond uh, to their largest voting bloc. Yet, as he's shown repeatedly, India's farming policies or food policies are much more pro-consumer rather than pro-farmer. And why is that the case? (coughs) So one is you could argue that, look, uh, going back to Olson, collective action, organizing large groups is much harder, and that might be uh, one factor behind this. The second, I think, is the nature of India's uh, political competition is much more around, around social cleavages rather than around economic issues which is why class-based politics has never really worked in India, which is why communist parties have never been really successful in the Indian landscape. A third reason might be actually a policy which was, which was, which was designed with good intentions, has had some good effects, but I think has had inadvertent effects on the organizational capabilities of Indian farmers, which was the 73rd Amendment, which was passed in the early 1990s. This amendment to the Constitution basically empowered (laughs) local bodies much more. So the locus of political competition shifted much more to the third tier of government. And so farmers, so at at the local level, uh, occupational solidarities around farming got fragmented around, around social cleavages That became the nature of political competition. So in the 80s, there were large farming rallies. There were political parties organizing around farmer groups. In the 1990s, you see this begins to really vanish. And until now, only in the last year, you see a resurgence of farmers coming out to the streets. But for the last quarter century, it's basically been absent, relatively to compare to the late 1970s and 1980s. Now, if that's on the, on the, on the, the, so, the demand side, on the supply side, why have political parties not been more, more responsive? I think here to understand is I think at the heart of it lies the fact that Indian elections are extremely expensive. The money is in urban areas. The voters are in rural areas. To win elections, you must get and win in urban India, because that's where you will get your money from, to fight the elections, to pay for the elections. So that is one reason winning in urban India is paramount if you want to capture power, because that's where the money is. And given the nature of the political financing of Indian parties, Winning urban Adi- India becomes fundamental to the larger s- success. Now, you could argue, and I think Dr. Kukulati shown, it's not that uh, the Indian state and Indian parties are not responsive at all to farmers. Right? They have massive range of subsidies, whether on free electricity, fertilizer subsidies, all sorts of input s- subsidies. They also have a range of price supports, like MSP. His work has shown very well that uh, most of these are severely distortionary. Uh, <coughs> and the question is, how do we understand the specific nature of these policies? I think here, one thing which is very hard to show as a, as a social scientist in its causal impact is really the role of ideas. I think fundamentally in India, whether it's politicians, whether it's the bureaucracy, fundamentally in India, no one really believes in markets. I mean, that is a bottom line. And I think we have to really grapple with that reality. Uh, It doesn't matter. It's not about the Nehruvian socialist legacy and the Congress party. The ruling BJP party, which is a more right-wing party, also, it is pro-business. It's not pro-markets. And that's a big distinction. These are two very different ways. The idea that you allow markets to allocate scarce goods, allow the price mechanism to really work, is fundamentally an anathema to the bureaucracy. It doesn't think in that way. And no political party, and I want to emphasize, no political party believes in markets. And that is something that is very hard, which is why despite all the evidence Dr. Gulati's work shows, which is overwhelming in many cases, it moves the needle somewhat, but not at all to the degree we would think it should. Now, if you ask the question, I mean, one of the things that, as as, uh, Marshall mentioned, uh, the work we're doing on agricultural markets, fundamentally, you might think, look, uh, if you want to buy Uh, Apple iPhone, you don't really make any things of who you're buying it, when you're buying it, where you're buying it, and the price, right? But for farming, you know, what you buy, who the farmer can sell to, when he can sell to, where he can sell to, all of these are controlled, right? And just, just liberating the Indian farmer from these strictures that he can sell, basically giving him the freedom to sell where, when, why, that alone will be very, very liberating for the farmer. Last, and I'll end, my time is running out, which is, I think, as he pointed, there is a shift happening, a shift that is in the role of ideas from price support to income support. I think if this really catches, uh, it seems to be spreading across Indian states. And if it does, that might offer one big hope for the Indian farmer. Thank you.